right. We got a new graphic up here today. Uh, thanks to Ben and to Aaron for putting these things together. Um, I like to mix it up a little bit, right? We're uh, kind of coming into a new theme this morning, and so we thought, well, it'd be good to go ahead and put up a new slide. So there you go. Nice uh, beach picture there. Kids ages four to six are welcome to join Caleb and Phyllis over here. What are you guys studying this morning? Moses disobeys God. Okay, um, great. Well, we pray that we won't do that as well. Hey, let's pray for our time together. Uh, so bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can gather as a body of believers uh, to remember and to celebrate and to praise you for all that you've done for us in Christ. Lord, we all recognize that we are disobedient, that we are so prone to set our hearts on lesser things. That it is easy, even in following you, to be discontent with your purposes and plans for us and to uh, act outside of your will because we want things here and now in ways that, that are different than your plan for us. And so, Lord, we pray for our kids and we pray for us as well that we would not desire to be disobedient, that we would not be hard towards your purposes, but we would trust in you completely and to, to vote ourselves to you wholly. And in that, live life fully through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that that would be true for all of us this morning. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. Well, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 4 this morning. I, I tried to do more than just four verses. You know, I was off to this really great start last week. We covered an entire chapter, and I was like profound, but, you know, I can't, couldn't do it anymore. Uh, uh, we, we just got to slow down and look at this. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 12 for context, just so you know that, so sort of be prepared, because they all kind of go together. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, they're on page 528 there in the Bibles provided in the chairs. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible. So over at the welcome table, we have Bibles there just for you. Please take one. <clears throat> now, we're studying the book of Proverbs because we want to live life well. We want to live life to its fullest. God has given us the wisdom of Proverbs for our good, for for our instruction, for our betterment, for our success, so that we can live wisely in God's world. Now, in chapter one, we explored the importance of wisdom, how, how necessary, how vital, how essential God's wisdom is for us if we are to know God and to love God and to live well with God. Last time in chapter two, we talked about the reason why we pursue wisdom is that wisdom produces inward change and outward transformation. That as we follow Christ, as we pursue this wisdom and take it up for ourselves, we find ourselves being transformed from the inside out. We are changed. And not only are we changed to live and love differently, but God also promises that through this wisdom, we are protected from temptation and we are protected from the dangers of sin that are all around us. And now this morning... We're going to begin chapter 3, which takes a look at the prosperity that comes from wisdom. How we can live well and have success both with God and with man right here and right now, living this life to the fullest. This chapter is going to tell us 
about how to go about pursuing long life and peace. That as we pursue this wisdom, we're going to learn how to gain favor and good success in the sight of both God and man. As we continue through this chapter, we will see that God will give us understanding. He will make our paths straight. He will even give us healing and refreshment. Does anyone here not want those things? Safe to say that that's a desire that the Lord has placed within all our hearts. Now get this, guys. I actually think that those are God-given desires. They are. God has placed them in our hearts, but they're meant to find their fulfillment, not in this world, but in God. The problem is we've twisted, we've distorted those things, and we've tried to seek to satisfy and fulfill them in this world rather than in him. But as we continue through this chapter in the weeks to come, God will show us how our barns can be filled with plenty and how our vats can burst with wine, how we can receive unconditional love and acceptance and get this, even riches and honor. Are you kidding me, God? Sign me up for that. That sounds awesome, right? God is holding out for us true prosperity, how we can live life to the fullest. Now, some of you are looking at me pretty funny right now, you know? Uh, some of you are just like, are really intrigued by this? You're like, really? God, God promises to bless us this way? I- I'm all in. Count me in. Others of you are just looking like, Chad, what, what happened to you, man? Have you, have you fallen off of your rocker here? Have you just been watching too much TBN or God TV? You can have your best life now. Do you know who you sound like? Hey, Chet, Shylin just came out with this song called False Teachers. You should go and listen to that. Like, I get you. I, I hear you. You're right. We, we become uncomfortable when we hear the word prosperity, right? But the Bible does speak of prosperity, prosperity that comes from the gospel, prosperity that comes from God's wisdom. And that's what this passage is all about. But the problem with this false doctrine that is often called the prosperity gospel, and let's face it, guys, with our own hearts, let's not just look at it as being out there because we're very tempted to right here and right now, is that we try to pursue those things to the exclusion of Christ. Or we want to use Christ as a means of getting what we really want. We want to keep Christ on the periphery, on the outside of our life. We want to compartmentalize him. But, but the bulk of our life is spent searching and seeking after these other things really apart from him. We grab a hold of certain promises to the neglect of the entirety of Scripture. And we try to ground their fulfillment in this world, in material well-being, rather than in our eternal and spiritual well-being. See, the biggest problem with the prosperity gospel is that they preach half-truths. Believe it or not, God does want you to be happy. God does want to bless you. God has even made a way for you to have your best life now. But God has to be the one who defines what that is and what that looks like. Not you or not me. And God promises that he will do it even in the midst of Pain and sorrow and hardship and loss and death. 
Even using those things for his own good and perfect and wise ends. Not in the absence or in the removal of those things. Rather than finding our joy and our peace and our life in God and pursuing him with all our hearts, the prosperity gospel seeks to exploit these promises and attempts to use God as a means of gratifying our immediate worldly desires. We want health, we want wealth, we want prosperity, we want success. This word of faith movement says, do this act of obedience. If you just do this act of obedience, then God is obligated like some genie in a bottle or some grandpa or some Santa Claus in the sky to give you what you really want. That he will give you health. He will give you wealth. He will give you prosperity. He will give you success. Friends, all that this is is materialism wrapped in a veneer of religion. Exploiting God to get what we really want. It uses God as a means to our true desired end. And our passage this morning deals with prosperity. But our passage this morning is going to say, you know what? Pursue God, not material well-being, with all of your heart and God will take care of you. God is the end of this passage, not the prosperity. The prosperity gospel teaches use God to get prosperity. This passage, and all of scripture for that matter, says pursue God and you'll find prosperity. And there is a world of difference between those two statements. And so this morning in Proverbs chapter 3 verses 1 through 4, we're going to begin to examine a set of promises that God gives for our prosperity. Wisdom that, uh, these come from God's wisdom. And, And in this passage, God promises that if we follow his counsel, we will have long life and peace. We will have favor and good success. But friends, if we are going to understand what God really means by that, then we are going to have to carefully take off the materialistic, self-seeking, this world-loving lenses that we tend to view the world through and see how these incentives are actually achieved and what they actually guarantee. And by doing this, we will see that life is lived fully when we devote ourselves to the Lord wholly. That's with a W. Right? Life is lived fully when we devote ourselves to the Lord wholly. So let's read the passage. Now for context, I'm going to read from chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And while I'm reading through it, I want you to pay careful attention to his structure. Okay, There's a structure to these verses. There is first a word of counsel followed by a promise of prosperity. And there's six of them all. Every couple of verses, we'll see a new one, okay? So, so look for that as I want us to miss what this is saying. And so we're going to look at the first two this morning in verses 1 through 4. This long life and peace, favor and success. So first in verses 1 and 2, God offers us long life and peace. And let's just read it again. It says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For the length of days and the years of life and peace they will add to you. Now, the question automatically becomes, what would you do to extend your life? What extents would you take if it would allow you to add length to your days? 
Or even better than that, what steps would you take if it would ensure that you could have a peaceful life, a life of well-being, the ability just to feel whole and just to feel complete? That's what that word peace actually means. It's not just an absence of conflict. It's a completeness, a, a wholeness, a well-being. Is there those good things to long for? Yes, absolutely. And let's face it, we go to great lengths to pursue these in our culture. I mean, just think about medicine, for example. I mean, medicine is big, big business. Think of all of the procedures and medical advancements that that we go to to extend the length of our days. I mean, if your heart or your lungs go bad, you can get a transplant. And they've, they've even... They're developing machines that can function like organs. You don't even need a real organ anymore. I mean, if you get cancer, we can try to cut that out. We can try to remove that. We can give you chemo. I mean, if you get some sort of illness, some sickness, there are vaccinations, there are antibiotics. We can develop antidotes. Friends, if you lose part of your leg, we have such advanced prosthesis that you can still compete in the Olympics. This is amazing. Then not to mention pharmaceuticals, right? I mean, what's better than having a surgery that can extend the length of your days? Popping a pill that can add to the length of your days, right? Those automatic, easygoing extenders of life. All you got to do is pop one in a day. Non-invasive. That's great, right? And especially for those, honestly, guys, whose souls are at war within them through just mental and emotional turmoil in their lives, there's no peace. There's no well-being. There's no sense of completeness. There's emptiness and despair and pain and sorrow like they can't even imagine. And, And if I can take a pill for that, maybe I won't truly find peace, but at least I'll be tranquil. Then why on earth would I not take it? This is the way our culture thinks about things. If it dulls the hurt or the emptiness, then give it here. Now, I'm not arguing for or against medical advancements or pharmaceuticals here. That's a much bigger issue. Uh, I do have thoughts about those things. I think some are tremendous blessings. Some I'm neutral on. Some I'm questionable. Other things I think are curses and plights to our soul. But we, I, I draw this out because it demonstrates the longings of our hearts. And our culture and our own lives show us that we are desperate to add to the length of our days. We're desperate to add to the years of our lives. There's something deep down within us that tells us that this life is not meant for pain and for death or for disease or disability. That something went very, very wrong here. That there's this cry in our heart that declares that life was meant for eternity. It was meant to go on. It's meant for peace and for well-being, for wholeness, for a sense of completeness, not for emptiness, not for despair, not for pain or for sorrow or for sadness or for, for suffering. Death is not supposed to be the end. And so in our humanity, we will go to great lengths. We will try to do anything and everything we can to alleviate pain and suffering and to extend the length of our days. We will do anything that we can to give us a sense of peace and well-being, if only for moments. Don't we? But friends, we all know that it doesn't work, right? That it can't possibly give us what it promises. Medical advancements, 
We'll never be able to do that completely. By our own effort, long life and peace will always remain outside our grasp. But that longing, that that cry of our heart that we see in mankind's pursuit to alleviate pain and suffering and death through medicine, to find long life and peace, friends, that's an echo of our longing for God. Now, if you're familiar at all with the storyline of the Bible, then you know that in the beginning, God created mankind to know God and to have fellowship with him. That Adam and Eve existed in the garden with God, complete unity, complete fellowship, complete peace. And God created us this way, not because God needed us, like God was lonely and he just needed us to complete him, but God created us so that our souls would find our satisfaction in him and in him alone. And in the beginning, as Adam and Eve lived with God, there was peace and well-being. There was unity, there was completeness, there was wholeness. There was fullness of life. And as long as they kept that one command, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would continue in that state of peace and well-being with God for all eternity. But the problem is, they wanted those things apart from God. They thought that they could be like God, that they could have wisdom, that they could have blessing, that they could have peace and a full and happy life. And more fully and more happily, If they were like God, and so they sinned against God, they broke the command, they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, their eyes were opened, and the result was cataclysmic. Sin, death, hardship, toil, suffering entered into the world because of their sin. The loss and grief and hardship and despair that you feel in your life is the result of mankind's fall into sin. Now, lest we just go and we blame them, like, curse you, Adam, curse you, Eve, for what you've done, let's not forget that we're all guilty here, that we have all sinned against God. It doesn't matter how much you know about God or how little you know about God, what culture you were raised in, whether you were raised in a Christian home or you were just, you grew up on the other side of the globe, the reality is we all know that we have done wrong. We all know that we have sinned against some ultimate standard and we are guilty for it. We all know that intuitively. But deep within our souls, we know that this is not the way that life is meant to be. That we were meant for long life and for peace. So now we're left with the question, well, what do we do? What's the response to that? Well, We are to look to God. But how do we look to God? Guys, this is one of the most important questions that you could ever answer. If you look to God and you see him wrongly, or you pursue him in a way that he did not intend, then you find that you will never receive this long life and peace, this this longing of your heart being satisfied in him. And so this is an essential question for us all. When you view God, is God some distant holy God, right? He's just kind of out there in the ether somewhere. And God has given us a list of commands, a list of do's and don'ts. And if you obey those perfectly, then you can have long life and peace. But you better do it perfectly. You better get it right. Absolutely right. 
If you're ever going to find long life and peace and satisfaction to your souls. Or maybe you're on the other, other side of things, right? That, that God is just like some grandpa in the sky and he just wants to bless you. He just wants to make you happy. And so if you can claim long life and peace by faith and, and you just give a little money to some ministry in the name of God, then he will just bless you. Friends, what must we do to see those longings of our hearts satisfied? Well, this text answers that question. It speaks to that. Verse 1, look at it. It says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Now, let me just be real clear right up front. I'm not arguing for legalism here. I just want to be very, very apparent on that. You'll see as we go along. Now let's think about Proverbs for a minute. When, when we consider Proverbs and what Proverbs are, we know that this is fatherly wisdom. This is a father sitting down with his son and he's telling his son, listen, these are general principles. These are general ideas, general just truths to apply to your life. And if you do them, it's gonna result in your good. It's gonna go well for you. You understand what I'm saying, son? Remember, Proverbs are general principles and observations that can be drawn from a wise understanding of the created order by those who fear the Lord. And so when this father is saying this to his son, this father is imparting wisdom to his son so that if his son does these things, it might go well for him. This is not an absolute guarantee, right? You can't say that, okay, if I just do this, that is not saying to me, listen, okay, if you just do this one thing, right, your life's going to be amazing, That's not what he's saying, but he is saying, listen, if you do this, life's going to go well for you, okay? So that's Proverbs on just a purely humanistic level. That's that's what the genre is, but let's think about it in terms of God's big picture. This is also an inspired book by God. This also fits into God's entire storyline for human history. And when we think about Proverbs and we fit that into that entire message of the Bible, then we have to understand that God is our adopting father. Though he made us and by making us and owning us and sustaining our lives, he has rights over every single aspect of our lives. God loves us. God has adopted us. God has shown his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Whereas in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 says that even in spite of our rebellion, that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. He is not some cold, distant tyrant that's demanding your perfect obedience. And nor is he some Santa Claus in the sky that just wants to give you everything and Jesus skipping around all over the place. This is our heavenly father. And so when we read these words, my son in the book of Proverbs, it is appropriate in light of our redemption through Christ to read these words as God speaking to us as his beloved sons and his beloved daughters who he knows intimately and who now know him through the work of his Holy Spirit in our hearts. God is speaking to us as our father for our good. 
That is so important for us to get this if we're going to know how to rightly apply this passage. He is speaking from an established relationship of love and authority and holiness and purity and commitment and grace. And apart from that personal relationship with God through faith in Christ, there cannot be long life and peace that this passage is offering to us. He is the only hope of truly satisfying that longing in your soul this morning. And God, our creator and loving father, tells us, do not forget my teaching. Now, why does he say do not forget? Why does he not say just, hey, learn, hey, listen, hey, do what I tell you? He says, do not forget. Well, how does, how does he do that? Well, we know in light of the entirety of scripture, he says do that because God has already written his teaching on our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We now have his spirit within us. And more than that, God has made it clear to us. We know it through his word. And friends, knowing God means knowing his heart, his desires, his authority, his will, his purposes. And not just his purposes for you, but his purposes for the entire world, for the entire cosmos. You are not the center of the universe. God has this amazing plan for all of creation from day one throughout all eternity. And if you are in Christ, you're part of that. Well, even if you're not in Christ, you're part of that. It's an amazing thing. You're still part of it. He says, remember, do not forget. He's telling us to devote ourselves from the things that he has already taught us, the things that we've already received, that we have already been given in the spirit and the word. He's saying, remember my teaching. And if we fail to remember his teaching, what happens? Instead of devoting ourselves to God, we will devote ourselves to other things. When we forget who he is and what he has taught us, we will inevitably go astray. This is what our heavenly father is calling us to. And he's calling us to learn and to remember his teaching and he's doing it for our good. And we know that God is not simply speaking of just adding information to our heads or merely calling us to an outward compliance to his commands or to his instructions because of what God says next there in verse one. He says, but let your heart keep my commandments. He says, let your heart guard them. Let your heart love them. Let your heart store them up. He's not saying claim it by faith. He's not saying just be religious. He's not just saying just outwardly obey me. He's not saying just give money. He's saying keep my commandments with all your heart. Your heart cannot be set wholly on pursuing God and on pursuing long life and peace apart from him unless, unless in the pursuit, the wholehearted pursuit of following God, we find long life and peace. This passage is not telling us that if we just have some vague general knowledge of God's teaching, if we try to do good and keep God's commands, then God's promise promises to give us what we really, really want, long life and peace here and now. That if you just do those things, that God will cause you to live 10 years longer than you would have otherwise. 
But if you just do those things, God will just make all of the conflict and all of the unrest in your life disappear. That's not what he's saying. Because if that's the case, then why did Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who obeyed the will of his Father perfectly with all his heart, why did he suffer and die in his early 30s? If wholehearted devotion to God is supposed to result in long life and peace, then why did the early church face such immense persecution? This week I was reading the Roman historian Tacitus, and he was reporting on the Emperor Nero and the persecution that he subjected the Christians to. I mean, this is just one small sliver of church history, but Nero was this tyrant who just like, it was a madman, set Rome on fire, decided to blame it on the Christians because no one really liked them anyway. And as a result of that, persecution against Christians ensued. He would cover Christians in fur so that dogs would rip them apart. He had many of them crucified, hung up their, their bodies set on fire. And he would ride his chariot through them as their burning corpses lit up the night sky. Just for fun. Where's the long life and peace in that? Many, I mean, why did the Apostle Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that he was so utterly burdened beyond strength that he depended despaired of life itself, that he felt as though he had received God's sentence of death. Now, was Paul in sin? Did Paul fail to keep God's commands? Did Paul forget God's teaching? Did he forget to send in his donation? And this is, he's just reaping the consequence of that. Where's the long life and peace in it? And first think about your own life. There's many ways where you've not seen long life and peace. I mean, many of you have lost loved ones very, very unexpectedly. Phyllis's dad, Vernon, died suddenly and unexpectedly at the age of 53 from a pulmonary embolism. He was a Christian. He followed Christ. Man was active. He was a scoutmaster. He was always out in the outdoors with these Boy Scouts doing stuff. Super active guy. Very fit. He went on a trip to see his brother in South Korea. He returned home, got off a plane, went to bed, got up the next day, threw a clot, and suffocated right there on his bed. Out of nowhere, three weeks before Layden was born. I knew a guy, Josh, in college. Josh's dad was a pastor. Josh was a believer. I met him through a campus ministry. His dad was actually the one who led him to faith in Christ as he was a boy. Josh was faithfully following the Lord. His dad was faithfully following the Lord. One day, shortly before Josh left for college, he had to run some errands. And so he was driving. His dad was with him in the passenger seat. Josh was driving and he made a mistake. He moved out into oncoming traffic. and A vehicle slammed into the side of his car and his dad died right there in the intersection. Now, who was in sin there? Who didn't keep God's commands? Who was unfaithful? What is there to name and claim in that situation? Now, over the last couple of months, I've been battling against depression 
And, and it comes out of nowhere. I have no explanation for it. I mean, we're looking into all sorts of reasons why it's here. And I know from talking with a number of you that you've experienced similar situations as well. And I can tell you, I've not forgotten God's teaching. I haven't, I haven't moved away from it. I'm still, it's my desire, my heart's desire to keep God's commands. And so where's the peace that God has promised to me? Has he forgotten me? Am I somehow to, to consider myself no longer his son because I'm feeling these, this, this crazy sorrow? No, friends. I, if that's what we are longing for, if that's what we have set our hearts upon, long life and peace in this life, then friends, this whole thing is a sham. Especially that crap that the prosperity gospel is promoting. Your best life now? Are you kidding me? Just watch the news. God wants you to be happy? Well, then don't involve yourselves in the lives of anyone who is weeping or struggling or in sin. Just deceive yourselves into just not paying attention to what's happening in your life or in anyone else's life around you. This passage does not promise that if you just do these things, if you remember God's teaching and you keep his commandments, that you will live long and prosper, that your life will be whole and complete in this life. No, it prepares us for something greater. You know, Paul followed up his statement in 2 Corinthians 1 about despairing of life itself and feeling as though he had received the sentence of death this way. He said, but that despair was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Friends, this passage is about so much more than long life and peace in the here and now, but in our eternal life and peace that we now have through our relationship with Christ. And that can never be taken from us. Through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus himself has become our life. He himself has become our peace. And in that, it can never be removed. It can never be taken away. Death has no victory. Wars can rage. Disease and cancer can spread sorrows can last for the night but friends joy will come with the morning and we can bank on it that cannot be taken from us and we know this because our heavenly father is saying to us my son my daughter don't set your heart on long life and peace you have it already with me and so don't forget my teaching. Don't let your heart wander. Keep my commands because they are yours. I'll add to you long life and peace. Just keep your eyes fixed on me. That is what he is saying to us. Just as Paul said to us in Romans chapter 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Is he just saying that he's going to remove those things from our lives? No. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, 
In the good and in the bad, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, this is the long life and peace that we have been given in Christ. What can a few years of comfort and conflict-free life here and now compare to that? It can't. We have got to set our hearts on something greater. Don't be deceived into into longing for and devoting yourselves to long life and this man-centered notion of peace. We've already been given it. We already have it. Trust in God and pursue him with all your heart. Do not forget his teaching, but let your heart keep his commandments because if you are his son or his daughter, you have already been given eternal life and everlasting peace. And so friends, do not fear. Kind of shy away from the troubles of this world. We can actually enter into those boldly because of this confidence that we have. Whether that's, and you know, I know that some of you are struggling. I know that things are down. I know that you've lost and you're grieving and things are hard. But guys, this is hope. This is a hope that does not fade. So seek him. Now, that's wisdom's first promise of prosperity, how we really understand long life and peace. Now, what about this second promise in verses 3 and 4 of, good fa- of favor and good success? I mean, because it says, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Now, how are you going to spiritualize this one, Chad? I mean, it says right there, you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Does anyone here not want favor and success? Anybody just said, you know what? I, I, I don't care if God's gracious to me. Really, it doesn't matter. I don't, I don't care if God likes me. I don't care if people like me. I don't need any friends. I, I don't want approval from anyone else. I don't care if I labor for hours or for days or for years on something and it totally bombs. That's no big deal to me. Just whatever. Does anybody do that? No, we, we want, we, we give our lives to the pursuit of favor and success in the sight of God and man. That's what we live for. We make ourselves slaves to the opinions of others. We fall time and time again into that performance trap. We will do just about anything to advance ourselves in the sight of others. We want to make our lives count for something. And so we strive to find favor and good success in the sight of God and man, whether that be through religion or through popularity or through job performance. And again, you know, I think that these desires have their roots in God. I do. Deep down, we were made to worship God with our lives and we want him to look favorably upon us. That's a good desire. We were created for community to have fellowship with one another. And so it's a good thing to want favor and success in the sight of God and man. We were created to be productive. That, that whole 
That whole command there, be fruitful and multiply, is more than just reproduction there. It's actually having a productive life. We were created to be productive, and that means bearing the image of God in our relationships and in our labors. But the problem is that we try to define favor and good success on our own terms. We want this to be saying something that it's not. When we want these things more, we want God, or we want these things to the exclusion of God. And again, this is God's promise, uh, or, or I should say, is this God's promise that if you love other people, and if you are trying to be faithful, if, if you just wear a cross necklace around your neck, whether you have cleavage or not, or if you just do some cardio etching on your heart there, then things are going to go well with you. Just get a tattoo right over your heart. You're all good, right? No, the the people are just going to like you, especially those people that you really want you to like you, or you'll advance in your job. God's going to bless you. Everything's going to be awesome. You're going to have a perfect marriage. Is, Is that what he's really saying here? No. Look there at verse three. It says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Steadfast love and faithfulness. Who does that sound like? Those two words are used together 39 times in the Old Testament, almost exclusively in reference to God, describing God's covenantal love and God's faithfulness to keep all of his promises. And those few times where it's not referring to God's covenantal love and faithfulness, it's referring to people who can now show covenantal love and faithfulness to each other because of God's covenantal love and faithfulness. The first time we see it in reference to God is Exodus 34, where God makes a covenant with Moses and the Israelites. And he says... The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. This is how God describes himself when he makes a covenant with his people. He says, listen, if you keep my covenant, right, ultimately you're gonna keep it because I'm faithful. I will not fail. I will love you. I will show covenant love and blessing. If you somehow bomb on this or you don't really get it, you live as guilty and those in iniquity, then I'm going to, to basically enact the, the, the curses of this covenant. But it all comes back to God. He is the one who will lovingly keep his covenant. He is the one who will be faithful to fulfill all of his promises. And so what the Father is saying to us here in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3, is don't forget who God is. Don't forget him. Don't leave, don't forsake, don't abandon this truth about God. God is faithful. God's going to honor his covenant. He will show steadfast love to you. He will be faithful to keep all of his promises. And so you want to bind that around your neck. You want to write that on your heart. Never forget who God is. God loves you. God knows what he's doing. And so trust him. Live in light of that truth. Bind it around your neck. That word bind, it ought to remind us of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Here, 
Moses is speaking to the second generation of Israelites right before they're going to go into the promised land. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand they shall be as frontlets between your eyes you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates he's saying do everything that you can to remember who I am even wrapping it around your neck rather than being stiff-necked or hard-hearted towards God we are to bind them around our neck we are to devote ourselves completely to them and when we do that when we bind them around rather than it being some cross on a necklace that we don't even think about we adorn ourselves with God's steadfast love and faithfulness and that makes us beautiful and makes us attractive both in the sight of God and in the sight of man because we are reflecting the very nature and character of God to God, back to God, and to others. We are showing his steadfast love and his faithfulness. We are to write them on the tablets of our hearts. Again, this is wholehearted devotion. We are to store these truths up deep within us. But here's the thing, guys. We know from Jeremiah 31 and from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and from Hebrews 8 and Hebrews chapter 10 that ultimately it is God who is writing these things on our hearts. In Jeremiah 31, verse 33, God says, but this is the new covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So when God saves us by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ, God does a work in us. He takes his law and he writes it upon our hearts. He changes us. He transforms us. He gives us his Holy Spirit to remind us of these truths so we don't walk away, so that we do not forget them. And in that, we are changed. We are transformed as a result of God binding his wisdom around our necks and him writing his law upon our hearts. We can now show steadfast love and faithfulness to others. And because of what God has done in and for us, we get God and we can now reflect who God is, his nature, his character, his purposes, his promises to the world around us. Friends, that's what he's saying there in verse 3. And so then, what does that mean when we think about favor and success in verse 4? Can we just live for and look just like the world and because we have named Christ, God is obligated to give us favor and good success? Is that what it's saying there? That if you just name it and claim it, God will give you all the same things that people who hate God and reject him want? That you'll even be more successful in the world than they are? People will like you even more than they like everybody else who doesn't live for God? <laughs> that if you just choke it down, 
and you are willing to go and you sit on that fat, smelly man in the red costume with the fake beard's lap for a minute while they snap a picture of you screaming your head off, then you can be guaranteed that you'll get everything that you want for Christmas, right? That you'll get taken from the the naughty list and placed on the nice list and and just Christmas is going to be awesome. Is that what he's saying here? Is that what it means to have favor and good success with God and man? Well, friends, let's just go back to our friend Jeremiah. He's the one that just told us that God is going to write this on our hearts. Does anybody know anything about the life of Jeremiah? I mean, was Jeremiah liked? Was he popular? Was he just kind of good? Did he have favor and good success with God and people? Here's what God told Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1. Get this, okay? God told Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Awesome, right? Good stuff. A few verses later, God says to him, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, get this. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up, to break down, to destroy and to overflow, to build up and to plant. You see, this, this, this is Jeremiah, this young little guy, and he's going to rule over nations. He's going to build up and plant. He's got God's words in him. He is God's chosen prophet. This is awesome. If this is not favor and good success in the sight of God and man, I do not know what is. Well, guys, what happened to Jeremiah? Anybody know anything about his life? How about the fact that he served faithfully for 40 years of his life? preaching God's message. And for all of his labors, he had two people receive it, Baruch and Ebed-Melech. How about the fact that he was thrown into prison? How about the fact that everybody scorned him and made fun of him and he just cried a lot? Not because he was just kind of a weak disposition, but because he's just like, I don't understand, God. How could this be? You said this in chapter one, but look at my life. He was dragged against his will off to Egypt. This is not favor and blessing and prosperity and success in the way that that I thought that this was going to be, God. Where am I ruling over nations? Where am I plucking up and destroying? I'd like to do that right now. Was God unfaithful to any of his promises? No. God kept every single one of them but not in a way that Jeremiah expected. And God used Jeremiah to fulfill all of those things, but not in a way that Jeremiah expected. Favor and good success in the sight of God and man is found when God does a work in us that makes us acceptable to him. He gives us new hearts. He clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. And because of that, because we are covered in Christ's righteousness, we are now acceptable to God. We have a guaranteed favor and good success in the sight of God always. Not because of anything that we have done. 
Not because of any of our accomplishments. Not because of how much God likes us, but because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And because he has done that, we can now display God's favor. We can now display his success. We can now display his, his steadfast love and faithfulness to others around us. And get this, guys. People who hate God are going to hate you, even though you show steadfast love and faithfulness. But for those who love God, we will find favor and good success in their sights. And that has nothing to do with your job. That has nothing to do with how many friends you have on Facebook. And everything to do with how much you are in Christ This doesn't have anything to do with your popularity or your fame or your ambition to climb the corporate ladder. This is all about your identity in Christ. This is where true prosperity is found. In Christ, we have long life and peace. In Christ, we find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. And friends, in the end of things, that's all that really matters. Not how long you live or how comfortable or conflict-free you are. doesn't matter how many likes you receive on Facebook, how many awards and achievements you have, or God's not against you just because things are hard and you experience loss. Friends, in a moment, those things come to nothing. In the end, it doesn't matter where you lived or how big your house was or what kind of car you drove. It doesn't matter the clothes that you wear. None of that comes to anything. Only that from here to eternity, life and peace and favor and success are yours in Christ. That's all that matters. That is true prosperity given by the wisdom of God. And so when we think about our lives, what matters the most, what is worthy of our wholehearted pursuits, we have to come back to that simple truth that life is lived fully when we devote ourselves to the Lord wholly. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, We thank you that you have done what we cannot. That you have created us with these longings and you have satisfied those longings in Christ. Father, we know that no matter how much we have labored for education or happiness in relationships or contentment in our jobs or feeling of success or accomplishment or fullness or completeness in the amount of money we have on the, in the bank or the way that we live, that it's all fleeting. That it cannot give us what that longing calls us to. But you have offered those to us in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see what is truly behind all of those desires. That long life and peace, favor and success are found in him. And that through him, those things are never taken away. God, help us to set our hope in something far greater than this world. Help us to trust and to be assured that we have it in, through faith in Christ. So Lord, lead us to repentance and faith. Lead us to maturity in him. 
Help us to see all of the blessings, all of the prosperity that we have in him. And may our hearts be full. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.